G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to turn our attention to the challenges of belief today and especially those in younger generations. Now, if you are in Generation Z, sometimes referred to as Gen Z, it's likely you may be a part of the most non-religious generation yet. Gen Z are those born between 1995 and 2015. Now, you, if you're in that generation, have had more distractions than older generations when it comes to trusting the Bible and belief in God. And just in case you haven't noticed, schools, especially state schools and our universities, are not so friendly to the nurture of belief in God and acknowledging Him as Creator. In fact, modern evolutionary science is assumed to have all the answers. So, how do younger generations grapple with belief? What are the questions that perhaps you still may have unresolved? And where do you find answers for those? Always a pleasure to welcome back to 2020 Dr. Don Batten, who leads Creation Ministries International. In fact, he's been... Not only does he speak all over the place and perhaps all over the world uh, at different times, but he's also co-author of a whole bunch of books. So if we talk about resources where you find answers, you might look at the Creation Answers book, uh, One Blood, Answers to Four Big Questions, 15 Reasons to Take Genesis as History. And uh, Don is also author of various booklets, including What About Carbon Dating and What About Arguments for Evolution? And he's also one of the four revolving editors of the Creation magazine. And if you've been around a little while, you will have come across Creation magazine. Don Batten, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Great to be with you. I must say, you do look good for Gen Z. <laughs> Let's come clean on uh, on some ages here. And uh, I don't know whether you want to give away your age or uh, you know uh, just sort of a general well, general idea of. Uh, we're, you know, we're both baby boomers, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I'm right on the edge, actually. Uh, baby boomers and Generation X. Right. Uh, I'm a 1964 baby, so right. that means I'm right on the end of the baby boomers. Or right at the beginning of Generation X. Yep. So when we talk about the younger generations, uh, you have Generation Y, and sometimes they're called the Millennials. Yep. Uh, that's people who were born 1980 to 1994. Then you've got Gen Z, 1995 to 2015. In fact, the generation that comes after that, which not many people are talking about too much, uh, but well, they, they're, they are, they're only really kids at this stage. That's right. Uh, generation Alpha. Uh, that's uh, one's born 2015 plus. So I'm going to put you into the baby boomers. Yeah, that's where <laughs> I'm at, right in the middle of the baby boomers, actually. <laughs> and uh, let's not let's not underrate the importance of baby boomers in a conversation like this, because as we get a little older, the responsibility on our shoulders increases 
or what is passed on to younger generations. Yeah, uh, yeah, and of course the uh, baby booms are now the grandparents. Um, uh, their kids have grown up and they're, they're having kids and some of them are great-grandparents. I'm not there yet. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Uh, and, of course, the baby boomers are concerned about what's happening with their children and grandchildren and, and um, yeah, in the future, their great-grandchildren. So with these younger generations, and we'll focus on Gen Z, but let's include in that uh, people who might be Gen Y, those millennials, uh, people born since, yeah, say, yeah, yeah. There's, the no, there's no 80s. hard break between uh, the... That's yeah. right. I mean, you know, the, all of these things are just constructs, They're really. Gen- Generalisations. Uh, because you might find that there are older people who think very young, and there might be some younger people who think very old. Yeah. So, as you say, uh, let's not be too hard and fast on these dates. Yeah. But what we are led to believe with this younger generation or Gen Z is that they're more inclined to not have a belief in God than those generations that have gone before. Yeah, well, this is a generation that's in high school, basically, and sort of teenagers, if you like. And surveys like in Australia, in in Victorian high schools, middle high school, half the kids say they're atheists. And, um, of course, when I was at that age, I'm not sure I knew what an atheist was. (laughs) So it's a popular terminology, and uh, people will hang a coat on it and say, oh, I'll be that. Yeah, I'm not sure that half of them know what they're talking about, um, but they're not Christian, they're not involved in any church, and uh, they are basically quite secular uh, in their outlook. So... um, so this is what we're looking at. And, and you think, well, half of them, the other half, okay, they're Christians. No, no, they're not, actually. Uh, the other half, uh, a third of them, that is a third of the total, say they believe in the force. It sounds very Star Wars. That's Star it? Wars, yeah. Well, <laughs> the force in Star Wars, of course, is some sort of spiritual force behind the universe, which is neither good nor bad. It's dark and light, and it's a very Buddhist concept, actually. So that doesn't leave too many that could be actually Christian. And, you know, some people will say, oh, what does it matter if our young people just believe there's a force, uh, light or dark? Or, uh, But, of course, when we're talking about eternal issues, when we're talking about truth today, uh, the way that a society functions, these things become all of a sudden quite important for us, Don. Well, where do you get morality from? What is right? What is wrong? And these young people are asked, how do you know what is right and what is wrong? What are, what's, is it right to abort babies or is it, is it, is it immoral? And they say, well, whatever the government decides, that's what they say because there's no other, there's no, there's no, there's no rock upon which they can stand and say this is, this is a source of truth. So it becomes just whatever everybody decides. So what the government decides becomes moral. And that's where Hitler was actually in the Second World War. Uh, leading up the Second World War, he had the German people just accepting whatever the government said was right. So accepting what the government says is right, but the government's setting its policies according to what they are picking up in the wind. Uh, mm. What is the spirit of the age? What is uh, the way that people are thinking? And so when you talk about having policies uh, that are pro-abortion, uh, killing the unborn, it's almost as though governments are putting those policies forward thinking this is a vote winner. And, uh, and so the morality is completely turned upside down. Yeah, I'm not sure that they think it's a vote winner because they usually try to do these things in an early part of the election cycle, uh, realising a lot of people aren't happy with it, even non-Christians. 
And so they try to do it early in the election cycle, hope that people forget about it or it becomes a non-issue by the time the next election comes around. That's what happened in Queensland recently. And, uh, and now, now they're pushing for euthanasia, of course, because they don't stop. See, this culture of death, which is actually part of the non-Christian way of thinking, a culture of death, it, it won't stop at babies. And it, now they're looking at euthanasia, which is you know, helping people to get rid of themselves. So in a, in a culture also which is a lot of suicides happening, this is just going to make suicide much easier. It's really weird that the government on one hand is putting a lot of money into counselling services to try and reduce the suicide rate. And on the other hand, they're pushing for euthanasia laws, which makes it easy to suicide. So if you're checking the pulse of a nation and you say, here's a nation that somehow rather has tried to push God out of the picture, uh, the symptom of that is that all of these other different moralities begin to creep in. Uh, all of those things that we might have seen from the past that were shaped by a Christian heritage are now changing and uh, it's putting people's lives at risk. That's right. It puts people's lives at risk. And you have euthanasia laws. Uh, that means that doctors then can kill people or save people. So what's their role? Uh, it becomes very confused. And so you go to the doctor, and a lot of Aboriginal people are quite concerned about this. When you go to a doctor, is he going to kill you or heal you? You know, mm-hmm. what you, what is, What's he going to choose to do, he, he or she? What are they going to choose to do, to kill you or heal you, you know? And, of course, in the past, the doctor's job was to heal you, never to kill you. That was that was not on the agenda. But but if you bring in euthanasia laws, uh, then maybe they'll get rid of you. You raise a very deep point here that I don't think is discussed all that often, and that is around our attitudes to the doctor. And if we don't think that the doctor is on our side, we're not going to go to the doctor. I think if we're talking about national health issues, it may be that the way that our morality is moving, uh, that we actually might become so much less healthy because we're fearful of the doctor. Now, I don't know whether uh, that I've even heard that thought expressed before, but as you do think through that issue just a little bit uh, below the surface, uh, this is the way that people perhaps will respond if these morality issues are not in some ways uh, you know if we don't put uh, some sort of stop to them well we get a total confusion you get a you get laws fighting one another you get situation where if somebody attacks a woman and she's pregnant and uh, she loses the baby because she's been assaulted uh, the person attacking her gets charged with murder because the baby's been killed but you can go to the doctor and get an abortion and there's no murder. So, you know, it's it's really confused, totally confused, because they've, they've completely they've abandoned God's rules and God's standards, which we're made in the image of God, means human life is sacred, and we protect human life from the, from, from the beginning. And uh, so in Christian cultures, abortion and uh, euthanasia and things have never been on the agenda. But, of course, you kick God out, as you said. You kick God out, anything goes, and that's what's happening. What's happening now is not something that's happened overnight. It's happened over decades and generations, and it really began in earnest in the 1960s when they kicked God out of the science class in schools and brought in evolution to everybody. Now, prior to that, if you wanted to, the only way you could learn about evolution in school uh, was to do senior biology, and not many people did that. So the 
But 1960, early 1960s, they brought in various revisions of the education system and started teaching all students evolution. And what's evolution? But it's how everything came to be without God. That's the whole point of it. It's not how God created things. I was never originally they tried to put it in that con. Oh well, God could have used it, but they knew full well that if students believed evolution, they're going to disbelieve the Bible, and that's what we're wearing now. Is now we have generations taught this sort of idea, and they think there's no room for God in a logical, rational world. Okay, let's bring generations back into this conversation here because it was under a baby boomer generation that these sorts of things began to grow yeah. in popularity. That's correct. And yeah. so uh, Generation X then uh, receives that change and things become watered down, uh, softer. Uh, people become less inclined to think of the objectivity that there is a God and therefore, somehow or other, uh, these things that science are telling us uh, must be true. Then you get Gen Y, things further watered down again. And then to Gen Z, this young generation now that you're saying, Don Batten, uh, is twice as likely to be atheist as the generation before. Yep. Uh, so what we've got this watering down and the future does not look bright for the way that things will go because change is coming if this generation that's guided by feelings over facts uh, is going to be soon making all the decisions on our behalf. Exactly right. So it's, it's whatever you feel is good, whatever you feel like, uh, that sort of, sort of thing. Now, the certain things are facts, of course, and that's the stuff they learned at school in science classes, and they regard those as facts. But when it comes to things of God and, uh, and religion, if you like, these things are not facts. They're just feelings. And so we see that, in fact, churches even are trying to pander to this mentality because the, the, the Gen Z are not, not satisfied with this secular outlook. So they're looking for some sort of meaning to life. I mean, if we're just a cosmic accident, you know, there was a big bang billions of years ago and we're a cosmic accident result from all the chemical reactions that have occurred since then, um, it doesn't give life much purpose. And you, you, you die, you become fertilizer. I mean, you know, what's the point of it all? And so you can see the suicide um, is a consequence of this sort of thinking, the suicide rate. Um but but they're looking for some sort of purpose. So and and they do gravitate to churches at times. They go on they and they find a church which has a lively worship time and they feel good and the people are friendly and, and it's all nice and everything. And they think this is good, you know. But there's no actual core belief in it. it it's just looking for an experience, an emotion, a feeling. And so uh, you know, and some churches have actually gravitated to this sort of try to give them the best possible feeling during the during the, the, the church service, if you like, um, and uh, and that'll keep them there. You know, and they'll keep coming, and and, uh, and some people think that they'll hear the gospel somewhere along the line and get saved, you know. But but basically, they're not interested in that. They're just interested in a nice feeling, and uh, and they don't believe there's anything real in the Bible. It's not actually things; they're just stories, you know, that people made up. Well, Don, we're all thinking about our own church experience as you're saying that and the idea of going along and having a great worship team and, uh, you know, sometimes you've got uh, the bright lights and you've got an atmosphere yep. uh, and there's a good argument for having that. But the important thing I can hear you saying here is that when you're having this wonderful experience in church, what the core belief of your being actually is 
uh, is shaped by is going to determine your behavior. Yeah. And uh, the behavior affects not only you as an individual, but then your family, then your wider community, then the wider nation, and then the world. Uh, so this idea of a core belief, if your whole understanding doesn't go beyond the experience of feeling good in church, then we're actually in trouble. That's right. And uh, and I actually heard of a church just the other day that they, they won't talk about abortion. Uh, they won't talk about... Um, the gender-bending ideology, uh, they won't talk about any of these moral issues uh, because it, it offends people. And and so they're trying to get people in by not being offensive to anybody. And, you know, it's come up in the news just recently with Israel Falau, you know, with the, uh, he, he just quoted from the Bible and said um, that the, all, these, all these sinners, and it wasn't just homosexuals, it was liars and, and drunkards and so on, he, it listed them all. Um, he said, all, all these people, you know, unless they repent of their sin and accept the forgiveness through Jesus, they're going to go to hell. And he just quoted from First Corinthians. And all hell broke loose, so to speak. <laughs> Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. You can join in our conversation, 1-800-316-316. And we're talking through some issues today, particularly focusing on younger generations. And uh, we'll get the focus on Gen Z and uh, the way that younger generations grapple with belief. Uh, you might have your own story. You might have a family story to tell. Uh, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call or two. Uh, Dr. Don Batten is our guest. He leads Creation Ministries International. Let's hear, first of all, from Audrey in Perth in WA. Hello, Audrey. Welcome along to 2020. Hi. Audrey, what are your thoughts for our conversation today? Um, I've got a child at the moment, she's 15, who I've currently had to put into care. Um, she, she used to be a very um, devout Christian when she was younger. And yeah. now that she's grown older, she's got into drugs and everything. Yeah. And yeah. she's just turned away from God. And there are so many things that can distract us when we even have the foundations in place. There are challenges for us as parents and for young people as they're finding their own identity. A thought or two here from Don Batten. Yeah, Audrey, really, my heart goes out to you. Uh, that's a terrible thing for a parent to have to deal with. And, uh, um, yeah, and this is a consequence of a society which is turning its back on God. And uh, I'm not saying, you know, she probably went through the school system and uh, and uh, would have had a head filled with all sorts of nonsense through the school system. But um, but that's this is what happens. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to happen. Um, you know, many Christian families, uh, the kids have grown up strong in the Lord. and uh, But one of the things is, uh, we've we found over the years that, you know, like for example, we've produced Creation Magazine and uh, it's been going for over 40 years now and a lot of Christian families have benefited from having those sorts of resources in their home and I know our kids grew, grew up with these and uh, I'm not saying a 10-year-old is going to pick up the magazine and read it cover to cover but they'll pick it up and because of the colourful articles and things, I read certain articles and you know what, it reinforces to them that what we as Christians believe is actually true truth. It's not just ideas in our heads. Unfortunately, unfortunately, many churches, people get the impression these are just theological concepts about God. 
And it's very easy to walk away from theological concepts, but it's not easy to walk away from facts. And so if you're confident that what the Bible talks about is facts, is factual, then it makes a huge difference. But underlying all that, there's also the fact that our, our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And even when we know the facts and even when we know what is right and even when we're brought up right, we can still decide in our hearts to turn away from God and just be rebellious. And uh, But, you know, as a, as a promise in Scripture, if you brought up a, bring up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. That doesn't mean they're not going to wander away, but when they're old, when they're older, they'll come back. And, uh, and one of my kids did that. They wandered away a bit for a while and then came back. And, and he said to me, said, you know, I couldn't turn my back on what I knew was true. And he wanted to turn his back on it, but he could not turn his back on what he knew was true. And so there can be a wandering, and, and you know, we, we just like pray for you, Audrey, and your, and your uh, it's a daughter or son? Um, son? It's a daughter. Daughter, daughter, yes, I said it was daughter, yes, right. And uh, that uh, that she would indeed come back and... Uh, and and get off the drugs, you know. And and Teen Challenge is a Christian ministry that works with drug addicts and things. And they, I don't know whether you've been in contact with them at all, but uh, no. Um, they they would be very helpful in terms of helping your daughter get off the drugs. Audrey, uh, you are in a challenging situation, but honour to you because as a parent, you've taken the initiative to make sure there are some foundations instilled in your daughter's life when she was young mm. and even though she is now experimenting in these other areas uh, as uh, Don says uh, let's believe God and this is where as parents we're often on our knees not mm. just for our children when they're young but when they're in their teenage years and when they're into their 20s uh, that God's uh, grace and that his will will be done in their lives and that he'll bring them into a place where they can acknowledge him and uh, and get themselves back on a right track. But thank you so much for calling in and being part of our conversation today, Audrey, in Perth. 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join in our conversation, uh, we're talking about the way that younger generations grapple with belief. Sometimes they'll leave their belief behind uh, that they've had installed in their life as young children. Other times they haven't had any access to that. And so then grappling with belief becomes all the more difficult. Well, we're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Val in Mackay. Hi, Val. Oh, hi. Hi, Val. Uh, look, I firmly believe that the church must get on the aggressive or the offensive against the forces of darkness. For the most part, we're standing there watching what's happening and Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. And if we fight against it, we do win. That's what Israel Folau is doing. And um, we, we need to realize we are the army of God. And uh, we have the victory, but we've got to fight it. Yep. And um, uh, the cross is about restoring the dimension of the spirit. To us, we lost that at the fall, and and the natural man doesn't understand the things of the spirit. Neither can he know them. Mm. And um, the Bible says that Satan has blinded the eyes of of people. Mm. And so, it's spiritual forces that we have to wrestle against 
and fight against, and we need to get on the offensive, not just hold the fort till Jesus comes. Amen. Good thoughts in there, Val. Uh, Your response, Don? Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, Crash Ministries International and Vision uh, Media, uh, we're both involved in doing exactly that and uh, taking... uh, taking the message to the people. And the sad thing is that some of our churches are sort of trying to look as much like the world as they possibly can. And that's what I was talking about a while ago, is that you know, Israel Folau is telling it as it is, and that is that it, unless we repent of our sin and receive forgiveness, we're going to hell. And he got all this uh, flack because of it. But um, but God, God bless him and the fact that this has been repeated, the message has been repeated over and over in the media, um, so the message is getting out there because of what he said, and uh, and and that's that's wonderful. And I totally agree that we need to be. Jesus said about being a light on a hill, you know. And uh, sadly, the the light is very dull in many respects, and uh, we need to be a light on a hill, shining in the darkness, and uh, that means telling the truth uh, courageously. Uh, so, yeah, bless you, Val. I, we agree. Thank you, Val, from Mackay in Queensland. Let's take another call. Francesca is on the line from Harvey in WA. Hi, Francesca. Good morning. How are you? Very well. What are your thoughts um, for our conversation? Yeah, I listen to you guys every day, but this one has a, a, a heart for me. Um, I'm 54. I'm a recovering addict, and I left home when I was very, very young. I was raised um, um, uh, quite Christian in my earlier years, but... Uh, my family broke up and I'd come from England and uh, I I ended up in Bridgewater Kids Home and a street kid, um, heroin addict, uh, prostitution, witchcraft, everything. Mm. And um, I came back to God. So yeah. please, all you parents out there, don't lose hope. Keep praying because um, God is faithful and he will not forsake you. Yeah, thank you, Francesca. That's a, Francesca, that's a wonderful message of hope. Francesca, yeah. uh, and you have had the experience of coming back to God. Uh, just give us a little insight there because we're coming up to the news, but love to hear that story just quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, I've battled my addictions uh, about three years ago, 2016. I was baptized um, um, and born again um, because my mother asked me to attend a... Um I think we might have lost Francesca. Are you there, Francesca? No, we've lost her. That's dropped out. Uh, Francesca, thank you so much for calling in and uh, being part of this conversation. She's a new Christian, but she's a few years. Yes, yes. And interestingly, Don, this conversation we're having today is not a parenting conversation uh, because we're talking about Mm. really uh, the way that we might think of what God has said and whether that's relevant for us today. Mm. And if we don't see Genesis as being history, then somehow or other we're not going to see the relevance of what God is speaking into the 21st century as he has spoken into centuries before. Don, before we take some more calls, and there's lots of calls wanting to get through, but we've seen this progression, haven't we, from when we talk about baby boomers, Generation X, Generation Y, now we're into Generation Z that we're talking about. Alpha Generation is still children at this point. But the way that progression has happened here. Uh, has really created confusion for the younger people of today. Yeah, and um, people my age, of course, remember an era in Australia where things were very stable and uh, there was almost no crime. Uh, I'm not saying it was perfect, but it was uh, compared to now. 
uh, people didn't lock their houses. They didn't didn't have to worry about things being stolen, and uh, you know, girls could walk around at night without fear of being raped, and uh, that sort of thing. But uh, young people, of course, have never experienced that, so they just think it's always been like it is now. Uh, but it's not the case. And uh, what we're looking at now is a consequence of the abandonment of uh, the Christian faith in our country and uh, and other countries that, which were once strongly Christian as well. So, uh, and all the social statistics, uh, things like divorce and uh, suicide, especially male youth suicide, um, uh, things like drug taking and uh, all sorts of crimes, theft and everything, all these things that went through the roof uh, and, and increased dramatically from the 60s onwards, uh, as a, not, not just the total but the actual percentages. So proportionally went went through the roof. And so what what's caused the social decay? It, it's the abandonment of God. Abandonment of God. And as I was saying, it's not lost on me that tomorrow is Good Friday. This mm. is a time when we as individuals, as families, as communities can in fact get a fresh touch from God as we come around an understanding of what crucifixion meant, of what resurrection meant. And uh, it's a significant weekend. It's a significant time in Australia's history and uh, on the way to an election as well. We're taking calls. Let's see if we can go through uh, a bunch of calls here. Uh, One of our regulars who calls through, Shelby, is in Queensland. Hi, Shelby. Welcome. Uh, Yes, uh, uh, Neil. So such a pleasure to wait so long to get to chat to you. (laughs) Thank you for waiting patiently, Shelby. Yes, um, mate. um, And... uh, Dr. John, um, I, 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 I had connected with your ministry some time back, and I do get information from you. I love the information. Um, but, mate, I have to say, um, in, the, in, in one good situation of the, the Gen Z, uh, we have a pastor's son who now helps in this team of the youth in our church, and his sermon, is, it, it, one of his uh, sermons is just fantastic, um, because brought up as a minister's son, you would have think that he would have uh, taken the uh, word of God on uh, straight away. Uh, he didn't. Um, he wandered away at his teenage, but finally the Holy Spirit come upon him, and now he's one of our best uh, youth ministers. Um, Dom is, uh, uh, you know, doing uh, college at uh, university, uh, university to become a, uh, a full reverend minister. And... Um, but his, his, his sermon is just unbelievable. Shelby, so you're making a great point here, and uh, I don't think, uh, Don, that we're actually putting down Gen Z here. No, we're talking about the more likelihood of uh, of unbelief because of the way they've been shaped. But there are some fabulous young people who have grappled with and have discovered uh, the word of truth and that they have become some of the best communicators around. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we made the point earlier that uh, we're not, this is a generalization, and uh, God bless. The Gen Zs, which who are on fire for Jesus, and uh, and there are plenty of them, but we need a lot more. Okay, thank you so much to Shelby, and let's take some more calls. Andrea is on the line from Albany in WA. Hello, Andrea, welcome. Hi, good morning to you both. Um, I just like to uh, make a comment. Um, one of my daughters is in the uh, Gen Z generation. And um, she went to one of the Christian schools here in, in Albany, well, so-called Christian school. And I, I just noticed um, that generation, mainly, um, I think they 
lost the relevance of Christianity because um, of the theology that they present and teach to the students these days. And and I'd like to see more of the testimony and a practical application from amongst the staff of the so-called Christian schools um, that these students can can see, you know, and it's not just the um, theology that they... Um, hearing or learning. Andrea, and, you make um, a pretty fabulous point here. We hope that when we send our children along to a Christian school that the staff actually hold to the ethos of the school. Uh, yeah. That is one of those things that is under threat uh, with the way that freedom is being dealt with in our nation today. And mm. uh, it's one of those issues that I'm encouraging Christians to look carefully at the policies uh, of uh, all of the parties who will be up for election in just a month from now uh, to see where they stand on issues to do with religious freedom and how that will affect their local school context. Because if Christian schools can't employ Christian teachers of course they won't be upholding any of the Christian ethos of the school, which is a reflection of the Christian ethos of the church. Uh, Don Batten, what are your thoughts? Uh, Andrea's raised a pretty amazing and important point here. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is that, yes, you would uh, hope and expect that the teachers in a Christian school would model being a Christian to the students, and that's basically what you're talking about. Uh, So it's not just uh, an academic exercise, but the actual teachers themselves are modelling what it is to be a Christian teacher or whatever, uh, a Christian parent or or, uh, working in a Christian school. So I don't know anything about the particular school you're talking about, but there is a problem in Christian schools in that, uh, firstly, they're having trouble getting enough uh, dedicated Christian teachers, so they sometimes appoint teachers that really aren't on the page uh, and then that dilutes the uh, effectiveness of what they're doing because the students get confused. Uh, so that can be that can be a factor. But not not all Christian schools, sadly, are on the page about the importance of teaching a consistent Christian worldview to the students. And uh, this is a consistent Christian worldview is the, the the Bible's history from the beginning to the end. Uh, but also, of course, modelling it as you were talking about with the, with the, with the teachers. So. Uh, um, and we would encourage Christian schools. We, actually, we have a course for Christian school teachers uh, called Putting the Pieces Together, which we do over a couple of days. And the aim is to get all the teachers to uh, understand the importance of teaching uh, the, the history in Genesis and uh, right through and to teach a consistent history of the world from the Bible and to counteract the evolutionary teaching. Now, on the other hand, as, as Neil was pointing out, you've got certain political parties that are trying to force Christian schools, um, in fact, education departments are trying to force Christian schools into being just like secular schools and adding God. And that's that's like um, it doesn't work because the students see the inconsistency and, and what will happen is they tend to um, reject the God part because the other part takes up nearly all the time anyway. So, And I've visited Christian schools which were a mess, an absolute mess, um, and very unpleasant place to visit because they were teaching uh, the state school curriculum and then adding God with chapel. And the kids are just com- totally confused because the things don't go together. Uh, mind you, that school, I must say, I visited about 10 years later and change of headmaster, change of ethos, and the headmaster was doing a fantastic job of getting the school back on the page and it was an absolute delight to visit it. So you can the schools can be brought back, but they need to be consistent in what they teach the students and uh, counteract their secularism, uh, which is being pushed at them all the time through the education department. It reinforces, doesn't it, just how important it is to have the right leadership 
leadership in a Christian school yeah. and uh, where you are a part of a community and you have an ability to participate in the appointment of a principal in your Christian school, uh, you ought to take every opportunity there to make sure that the person who's being appointed uh, is someone who will hold to the sorts of ethos uh, that will give a a very good watertight mm. worldview. Yep. Thank you so much to Andrea in Albany yes, in WA. You. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Jason in Victoria. Hi, Jason. Good morning, Neil and Don. How are you? Hello, Jason. Very well. Jason, what are your thoughts? I'd like to say that it is important that we keep the Christian faith going in Australia and uh, and in every part of the community, Christians need to share their faith. Mm. Yeah, and Christians are—I would just uh, uh, speculate—finding it more difficult because of the environment that we're in, uh, feeling like we'll be offensive if we do. Uh, so, feeling like they can't share faith as freely. Don, what are your thoughts for Jason? Uh, yeah, Jason, absolutely. And one of the things our ministry is involved with is uh, equipping Christians, uh, first of all, with confidence that what we believe is true, and you're not going to share something you're, you're doubtful about. So that's the first thing, gives uh, Christians backbone so they're able to share their faith, but also a way of sharing a faith. Now, in our secular culture where people have been indoctrinated in evolution, and even if you've never been to school, you have been, because of nature documentaries on TV and everywhere, um, people uh, have have these serious questions about whether whether you can believe the Bible, and uh, so you can actually begin with these things and open up a conversation which leads to the gospel very quickly. Uh, because if people don't believe there's a Creator who made us, therefore He owns us, He sets the rules, uh, it's His agenda. Then of course you can talk about being saved and about Jesus dying for our sins, and it's just like water on a duck's back. Uh, but, of course, if a person understands God made us, he owns us, we're accountable to God, well, hang on a minute, I'm accountable to God, well, that means um, I'm in trouble. Um, and there's, there you bring in the Saviour. So the, the, and uh, the Apostle Paul, this is nothing new. The Apostle Paul did this, did this in Acts chapter 17. He went to a pagan culture. We're talking now to a pagan culture that has no knowledge of God. And he went to a pagan culture in Athens. And where did he start? He started with God the Creator that you don't know about. I'll tell you about him. He made everything, and he doesn't live in temples built by hands, but he did, He determines everything. He's in control. What's, what's Paul doing? Laying, laying the foundations back in Genesis so that these people can understand why Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the dead. We celebrated Easter. Thank you so much, Jason in Victoria, 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, we are talking about younger generations and how younger generations grapple with belief in God. Let's take another call. Bill is on the line from Victoria. Hi, Bill. Welcome. Bill, are you with us? Bill, I think if you turn your radio down in the background, uh, it won't be so confusing. There you go. Good. What are your yeah, thoughts? Well, my thoughts is, uh, like I remember when I was in uh, in the 60s, uh, in school there, the social studies book, I remember there was a page in there, just the one page on that, whereas, you know, they started from the apes, you know, and gradually cut up over, over time to when we had the day. Yeah. But there was, no, there was no teaching on it because I, I think that they just weren't allowed to teach it, but... It's obvious he sows a seed that, you know, prepares people just to accept it as it goes along, you know. And, um, but I realise there's a bigger problem when it comes down to it because even though they've got evolution teaching and all that, we have that beautiful book called the Bible 
And Don, you know that from Genesis to Revelation, it teaches about salvation all the way through, yep. that on the spiritual side. But Christ is just as concerned about the physical side, and it teaches from Re- uh, Genesis to Revelation all the way through on the physical. Yep. And for some reason, when it comes down to earthly rule, the Christians have been hoodwinked by this uh, separation of church and state, damnable heresy, which was made law in America in 1947. In fact, in the last two years, the Presbyterian, Baptist, and Assembly of God in America have exposed the lie, okay? And yet, here it is, it's accepted here, and we have no teacher on earthly rule. There's elections coming up, and the one's got to ask is, who established marriage? God did. Who established education? God did. Who established the government? God did, to take care of education and and marriage. Now, we come from a heathen background, abusive home, being brought up like you wouldn't believe in church and trouble with the police all the time. But the point is, this, I become a Christian, I read the Bible, I'm growing in the knowledge of the Word, and when I see things in the Bible, I draw attention, the pastor's attention to them in different churches. For some reason, Don, they don't want to know. Like, example, they'll all, all believe where Jesus said, you must be born again. Now, we all agree with that, okay? That Jesus said it's in the Bible. Well, the same Jesus said, he ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Now, how come we don't hear it? I mean, I never see, even seen it in the Bible for, for 27 years, okay? And yet, here it is, all those elections in that 27 years, and I used to pride myself of going to church on Sunday and casting because I cast a donkey vote on the Saturday because there was nobody decent to vote for. But I realise now that God understood all that because he created donkeys. He knows just how donkeys think. <laughs> now he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected my knowledge, I will reject you. There should be no priest under me. Because you've got the law of the Lord, you've got to forget your children. And there's the, all these parents out there, their hearts are broken over their children, wandering away on drugs. Some of them, you know, died of overdose and committed suicide and all the rest of it. And yet we didn't have a drug problem back then because I realised this was a Christian country when we were heathens, couldn't place all on Sunday, couldn't fire a weapon on Sunday. But the reality is this. Our law was based on the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Since the separation of church and states come in, we've got rid of the Ten Commandments out of our legal system. We've separated the two. Bill, so you're making a lot of great points here. And when we talk about the law and creation, these are connected because the law doesn't have a lot of value if God is not the creator, because if God's not the creator, then he's not there and he's pretty weak. Not in but, charge. Uh, but if, uh, if we've got a God as creator and he has a law that is a reflection of his character, uh, that law becomes very, very powerful. So when we talk about connecting faith to life, we are talking about the way we hold ourselves, uh, present ourselves, behave in the public, uh, in our raising of our family, in the way that our community is shaped. These things are very connected, and Bill's making a lot of good common sense. Yeah, I, I pick up one point Bill made that I think is really, really important. That is, is this separation of spiritual and the other. And um, I think it's a very good point because uh, there's a tendency these days to say, well, the Bible's just about spiritual things, you know, like don't worry about whether, you know, whether Moses crossed the uh, the Red Sea, uh, you know, with the children of Israel. That's not really, that's not really that important. What, what's important is what, what does it teach us about God, God saving the people of Israel? You know, I think, well, hang on a minute. If he didn't actually save the people of Israel through going through the Red Sea, there, there's nothing to talk about. And there's a lot of nonsense around, like, oh, you know, Genesis about creation. Don't get caught up about the time frame. Well, God actually gave us a time frame. He said it happened in six days. If the time frame is not important, why did he inspire the writers to put it there? 
um, the time frame is part of what he's inspired us to. So you're absolutely right. This separation of spiritual and and the physical, the reality, the history, and everything is actually results in people thinking that what we believe is just ideas. It's just in our heads. It's not real. Um, and uh, this is a really big problem. It's called, there's a word for it called pietism. You know that the idea that uh, that the that the Bible and the Christian faith and thought and everything is just sort of airy fairy floating in the clouds sort of thing. But it's real. It's rooted in reality, rooted in real events in time and space that actually happened. God actually created everything in six days. It's not just a story. God God actually created a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. Adam and Adam sinned and brought death and suffering into the world. And that's why Jesus died on the cross that we celebrate tomorrow. He died because of what Adam did. Jesus called the last Adam in the New Testament because the first Adam actually did something. It's not just a story. So you touch on something very real here, Bill, that is a really real lack in many of our churches that they've kicked out the reality and all they've got left is the spirituality. And I'm not saying spirituality is not real. It is very real. But spirituality, without the reality of the actual events of the Bible, actually floats out there fairly disconnected and unimpressive to a lot of people. Bill from Victoria, thank you so much for your call. We'll put a line under calls, just a few minutes remaining in our conversation. And Don, I'm just thinking, how can we just draw some loose ends together? We've been talking about Generation Z. And I guess we're all coming from where we all fit in those generations and that spectrum and saying, well, what is Gen Z and what's different about them to what the way I might think today? Uh, Let me ask you about perhaps some solution for the future and what we as parents or grandparents or as those who are, you know, the, the peers of Generation Z might be able to talk about. This idea of science and religion somehow rather with a big divide, a big, uh, uh, you know, a big wedge uh, put in between. Let me ask you about what the Christian position might be with the complementary value of appreciating science and bringing into that our biblical worldview. What are your thoughts here? So um, actually science actually grew out of Christian faith and particularly the Reformation Christian faith back uh, the reformers, the rediscovery of the reality of the fall and these things. There's all sorts of things that actually are foundational to modern science who actually came straight out of Christianity. And even secular researchers have said without the Reformation, without Christianity, science would have been stillborn. In other words, it wouldn't have developed the way it has. So science is a Christian enterprise. That's the first thing. The great scientists, in fact, the metric system, uh, things like the the Joule and the Newton and these different uh, units in the metric system, Pascal, the unit of pressure, these things are named after famous Christian scientists. Um, these are scientists who were devout Christians. And um, so the science came from these Christians. Uh, so that's the first thing. So, so what's happened is that this evolutionary mythology has become grafted into science. It's really a story about history. It's not actually science at all because science is doing experiments in the present, testing things. You can't do experiments on what happened millions of years ago. And this is a fundamental thing that, that people don't understand when they hear someone say millions of years ago this happened. They think it's like measuring the temperature of water. It's not. People can't do experiments on what happened in the past. So this has become, this mythology of how everything made itself without God has become grafted into science because it, that way it gave it authority. People would believe it because science is good and science is facts. And so this becomes facts. And so you can't, can't uh, 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 go against it. 
So real science, there's nothing in real science that contradicts the Bible, nothing at all. When I say real science, I mean experimental science, operational science, which gives us all the wonderful modern benefits of, of curing diseases and preventing diseases and technology and putting men on the moon, although the engineers have claimed they did that. Um, but, uh, but all these wonderful things that come from science, it's got nothing to do with this evolutionary mythology which has become part of the way people think. And uh, people have permission not to believe it. It's just the story which actually is designed to get rid of God. So when we talk about complementary science and Christianity, we're not talking about complementary evolution and Christianity. You're saying that evolution is just a variation on the way people think of the scientific process, and uh, it's the one that is that you can uh, identify as being mythological because people are interpreting facts according to their worldview, uh, trying to be anti-God. It's driven by an anti-Christian worldview, and uh, you go back to the history of evolution, and it's quite easy to see the the uh, the. The people even before Darwin, these people were deists. They were the equivalent of atheists today. Uh, they weren't Christians, and they were they hated the Bible. And uh, this is where it all came from. And uh, the sad thing is to see uh, some uh, leaders of churches and Christian and Christian institutions today falling over themselves to try and say, "Oh no, we're cool with evolution," uh, but it's really. You know, when they do that, the, the non-Christian thinks, oh, you've, you've lost the plot. You know, uh, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, what you have is, is irrelevant. Um, because, in fact, the, the follow-up to some research in the United States about this Gen Z, um, they talked about uh, Gen Z saying the church, uh, they didn't like the church because it seemed to reject what science is saying about the world. And then they followed up on this. And where is the latent unbelief happening? This is from uh, Christian, Christian, ChristianPost.com. And we see a lot of it in science. Hempel, one of the researchers, explained, teens are beginning to feel like they have to choose between science and the Bible, where baby boomer generation or Generation X said that they can see the Bible and science as being complementary. How did they do that? They did that by saying, oh, well, God used evolution or the days are long periods of time or one of these sorts of ideas, which don't, which don't work. And we've been saying that for, for decades. Uh, and when you get to the millennials and Gen Z, they see them in conflict they are in conflict. They're meant to be in conflict. Evolution is meant to actually undo the Bible. Uh, for many, they're going to fall on the side of science because they had nothing from their churches which actually actually helps them to think about these things. Now, a quarter of Gen Z would say, I don't see the Bible and science getting along, so I'm just going to go with what science says because to me that is the truth. And there's so much more to talk about, but we've run out of time, Don. <laughs> Let me point people to the creation website, creation.com. I mentioned there are more than 10,000 articles, uh, many of those scholarly articles that you can rely upon the research, creation.com. You can search those. It's a database, an archive of fabulous articles about virtually every topic you can talk about and uh, wonderful getting your insights once again here, Don. And, and we have uh, about 10 accredited speakers available to speak in churches and youth groups and so on, so we're available to help. Right. Get in touch with Don Batten. Don leads Creation Ministries International. He'll organise one of his team to come to your church and uh, simply make contact through creation.com. Don, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you. 
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.